So, uh, first things first, uh, as we're, uh, you're good, as we're, we're just starting to get to know each other, I've been here for, you know, like two and a half weeks or something like that, one thing uh, you hopefully will know or notice about me, my preaching and, and style as a pastor, is that I will basically never get political. Uh, and in fact, one of my goals as a pastor is, is that you will never really quite know how I vote or any kind of affiliations that I may have. Um, I'm going to break that rule this morning. Uh, daylight savings has to stop. <laughs> we, yeah, amen. <laughs> so I am announcing my candidacy for, uh, for president, and that is my platform. I will promptly resign. <laughs> so now that we have, and it sounds like uh, we're all kind of all on the same page uh, uh, for that. So uh, Jesus has, uh, or he has an interaction with the Pharisees, if you notice, that is, was not negative. Uh, somebody is trying to kill him, of course. Uh, and then Jesus has some things to say about Jerusalem. It's kind of a strange passage. But as usual, to get like a better picture of what Jesus is really saying and doing, we need to go back just a little bit. Uh, really back to John the Baptist. Uh, as we talked about last week, I think, things are a little blurry for me right now, uh, John the Baptist was like one of the great prophets. He hits the scene and his goal was to prepare Israel, the people of God, for the fact that God is finally doing what he promised he would do. Somebody is coming and he's going to change everything. And so to prepare his message is essentially, you are the people of God, act like it. Not that you have to earn your status as members of God's covenant, but there are certain things that God expects of you, and you have not done. So he has them dunk and immerse themselves in the Jordan River, kind of reenacting Israel's deep past. Now, John had plenty of other things to say, we just don't know what a lot of them were except he apparently did criticize Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was one of the sons of Herod the Great. He was not quite king. He was something called a tetrarch. You don't need to know what that is. But he was kind of in charge of like the, the region of the like up north, north of, of uh, Judea or Jerusalem, and kind of off to the east. And one of his goals, he was very power-hungry because that's what Herod's, uh, that's just how Herod's are. He was very power-hungry, and he desperately wanted the title that his father had, which was technically King of the Jews. And that would put uh, his power and influence oh, uh, down also to Judea and Jerusalem his, as well. Now, at some point along the way, uh, Herod Antipas decided to run off with his brother's wife. Again, because you, you, know, you, th you think your family is a problem? <laughs> Guess what? The Herods are way worse. And when he runs off with uh, his brother's wife, John the Baptist is very critical of it. Like, hey, essentially, you, you want to be the king of the Jews. That's not sure. I mean, almost literally, that's don't do that. And so to silence any opposition, Herod locks him up. And through some political uh, manipulations, eventually his hand is forced and he has to execute Jesus. 
Now, by that point, Jesus uh, is becoming very popular in the regions where Herod Antipas is in charge. And that makes him a little uncomfortable. It's like uh, there's a, a scene or, or a passage where he's like, this sounds like John the Baptist, but who is he? Is this Elijah? Like, did John the Baptist come back from the dead? What is going on? But he actually wants, he's interested in Jesus. As Jesus starts going around and his message spreads, it's not just like healing and, and feeding the hungry and mending the broken. Kind of like uh, the Bill and Ted's be excellent to each other. That's not just what Jesus is about. Jesus is also saying that there's a new kingdom coming. The kingdom of God isn't just sort of a reality up in the skies, but it's actually coming down here on earth. Like, you want to know what, what it looks like if God were really in charge? Well, I am acting that out. Now, if you are a king who's paranoid and power-hungry, like all the Herods were, you'll start to see the political ramifications pretty fast. And so, that brings us finally to our uh, text for today. Some Pharisees uh, come to Jesus and they say, hey, get out of here. Herod wants to kill you. Now, that's a little odd, maybe, for some of you, because that means that the Pharisees are actually trying to help Jesus. We're used to thinking of Pharisees purely as the enemies of Jesus. Now, we don't have time to go into why that might be, but if I may make a shameless plug, we're going to talk about stuff like that a lot this morning in, in the pastor's Bible study, 945, across the way, get donuts, get all sugared up, and and your mind will be blown, I promise you. But suffice it to say that it actually makes a lot of sense that these Pharisees would say, hey, he's going to kill you, get out of here. Now, in order for Jesus to get out of there, he has to go south toward Jerusalem. But anyway, Jesus first challenges the power. He says, go and tell that fox. Fox. What an odd thing to call somebody. I mean, for us, a fox is um, maybe somebody, somebody or something that's very cunning, very smart, crafty, or something like that. If you're a Jimi Hendrix fan, it means something totally different, but we won't go there. But a fox is, is not a compliment. Uh, there was a, a rabbi, I, I got to know a little bit, sat with him a couple of times and, and heard him speak a few times, and, and he, he explains, it, uh, explains it actually like this, uh, that when he and some colleagues, some fellow rabbis, traveled to Jerusalem uh, to study, as you do, and they walked into a particular synagogue, and, and there was a very famous and well-respected rabbi uh, off either praying or reading the Torah scroll, like the big scroll as it rolls out. I can't remember which. And one of his buddies elbowed him and said, hey, when he is there, we are foxes among a lion. A fox is a pretender. It's a phony, a fake. It's uh, something that is just sort of a nuisance. So Jesus is actually, I mean, it would be tremendously insulting if it weren't just absolutely true. Uh, Herod Antipas was a pretender to the throne of God's people. 
So he calls him on that. And then he makes it clear that he is not going to be intimidated. He is going to continue to go about his work. He's going to continue to heal and preach and teach. And really, if you read between the lines, like bring in the kingdom of God, like the reality that is up in heaven down to earth. You know, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not just a nice saying for Jesus. That is his goal, his reality. And anyway, he says, I'm going to continue on. And then he breaks down. So first off, he won't be intimidated. However, his travels will lead him outside of uh, the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas down to Jerusalem. And that is heartbreaking. Question is, why? Well, one of the things that Jesus is, is a prophet. He's a, a, a several other things than that. And one of the things that he has been prophesying or talking about is that at some point, if Jerusalem, if the people of God continue to deny their reality, to continue to try to buy into this like nationalistic violence, which is kind of always underneath the surface, then it's going to lead to destruction and war. And when that happens, it, Jerusalem is going to lose badly. Jesus prophesied the first Jewish-Roman war, which happens the next generation. And in fact, this isn't the, the last time we're going to hear about this as we find our way to Easter. And so his heart breaks for his people. He says he wants to be like a hen gathering her chicks or her brood to protect them. And this is actually apparently a known phenomenon. I mean, I'm a California boy. Boy, I, I used to live sort of near a farm, and I just remember it smells bad. So I have to, I have to like get all of this secondhand. But there are actual accounts of things like a barnyard fire rushing through, and uh, amongst the charred remains, you find like the charred, sad charred remains of a hen. But when the farmer actually looked a little closer, he could hear a little movement, and he pulls the, the charred remains off, and her chicks were fine. This is actually a very um, motherly, self-giving, self-sacrificing image that Jesus applies to himself. But he also, as prophet, knows that the path that Jerusalem is going to take is going to lead them to destruction. Which kind of maybe, uh, or maybe should, might, I can't talk this morning, it's daylight savings, whatever. Um, might give us pause to think. You know, somebody that you love dearly, but you can't change them, obviously. Um, and you kind of see them going down the wrong path. What do you do? Well, one of the things that Jesus did is he just lamented, recognized the reality of it, the sorrow of it. And then Jesus uh, continues and he says, but you will not see me until you say, 
blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which they will, at least his disciples will, uh, in not too long. So we have kind of an odd situation here. Jesus knows how it's going to go. He knows that his people, the people of God, some of the people that he has sent to save, to be honest, are going to reject him. And that's going to cost him everything. And yet, at the same time, he does it anyway. How do you do when somebody that you need to serve or work with or love or you care about rejects you in a very personal way? Do you have a tendency to write them off? I do. What if moving forward in that relationship required a whole bunch of sacrifice on your part, knowing that they are going to figuratively spit in your face? Where do you get the fortitude to keep moving forward? How do you do that? For Jesus, he is so captured by the vocation that God gave him and by the Spirit of God that drives him, that he continues forward. Now, one other thought, and this will be kind of like my point. Fifteen minutes in, I get to my point, which is pretty good for me. Jesus, going to Jerusalem, knowing that he is going to be killed by all the good he could have done. All the healing, all the teaching, all the freedom he could have brought. Because wherever Jesus goes, he brings freedom. Think about all the lives he could have touched, and yet instead, he goes and dies. What a waste. Except... Jesus, driven by the Spirit, knows something that the rest of the people don't. In Jesus, for the first time, first time in human history, death will not get the last word. He will endure literal hell on that cross. He will confront all the evil that even lives within you. It will <clears throat> spend itself on him. He will go to his grave, and that should have been it. It should have been a waste, and yet death did not get the last word. And his death march to Jerusalem actually becomes a march to triumph and victory. And then if, if, if in Jesus, death didn't, give, uh, death didn't have the last word, that means that for those of us who follow him, as Paul would say, we are baptized into his death, raised in new life, that the death doesn't actually get the last word for us. And if death doesn't get the last word over us, then we are people of the resurrection. We're actually people of redemption of restoration, of second chances and eighth chances and 70th chances. 
Which means, as people of God in Jesus, nothing gets the last word. Except for Jesus. And that last word is resurrection. So your, your sickness, your illness, it doesn't get the last word. Even if it kills you, it doesn't get the last word. Your divorce doesn't get the last word. God restores all things. He restores people. He restores their hearts, even in new normals and new realities. Losing your job, that doesn't get the last word. Boy, I know about that. Struggling, your, your struggles, your sadness, the people that you love as they go off and just make horrible decisions. None of that gets the last word. The last word spoken over your life is resurrection. And so as Jesus resolutely faces towards Jerusalem, knowing that he is going to stare death and pure evil in, in its face, as he goes to his grave willingly, he is going to win a final word over all of us. A word of resurrection, a word of restoration and redemption. Amen.